Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to Daring Faith, the Key to Miracles. I uh, want to welcome everybody who's watching online and to say if you're stuck in quarantine or you just aren't ready to get out yet, we're with you. We love you all. We're praying for you. And are we ready to get back to normal? So uh, we've been going through this. If you're newer here, welcome. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this is a little bit of a family meeting in this series. And that's okay, though. You're welcome to be here if you're new. You get to see a little bit of what makes our heart beat faster, what's most important to us as a church. And we certainly believe that God can do amazing things, much more than we even would imagine if we would just turn our lives over to him. So I'm glad that you came today. Last message, if you were here for it, if you saw it online, we talked about how you can learn a lot about giving it all from successful and serious athletes. And today we want to talk about how you can learn a lot about a life of faith from successful farmers. When I was a kid, I decided I wanted to put a garden in the backyard. And it wasn't real big because I got tired of digging real quick. But I did put in a garden. I went to Walmart and got like uh, turnip seeds and radish seeds, spinach, carrots, uh, tomatoes. I just wanted to see what would happen. Lo and behold, it grew. Now, my neighbor who was mentoring me through this process, she said, she just kept talking about over and over how good uh, spinach was fresh from the garden with bacon. Be honest with you, the only spinach I'd ever had came out of a can or out of the freezer and it tasted like poo. But when you start with bacon, I thought, well, I should give this a chance, and I've never had fresh spinach before, so I put spinach in the garden, lettuce. Lo and behold, by the end of the summer, my stuff grew. I couldn't believe it. It was even, even the spinach, and I tried the spinach, and she was right. Fresh spinach. I was a little disappointed. I thought the spinach would be bigger. I didn't know that spinach was this small, because again, I'd never seen it except in a can. I thought it would be big like, you know, lettuce, but my spinach looked like that, and it was great. It tasted really good. What I had discovered or what I had enjoyed was a principle that God created as a part of our universe, uh, the laws of planting and harvesting. You go way back into Genesis at the beginning, near the beginning of all things. In Genesis 8:22, the Lord said this, As long as the earth remains, there will always be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. It's just a principle that's baked into the world. Uh, it didn't have to be that way. God made it such that you plant something, you get something else in return, and something more. Uh, this has often been used in the Bible as a spiritual analogy, just saying this is bigger than just farming. And if you go over to Bi the Bible in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says this, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You'll always harvest what you plant. So it's just a principle. It's a farming analogy, but it highlights just a, an underlying function of our universe, which is actions produce outcomes. Call it cause and effect, whatever you want, planting, harvesting, the old terminology, sowing and reaping. This is something that you can just count on. It's something that's there, and you can ignore it to your detriment. Many times, so many people ignore the laws of planting and harvesting, and they suffer from it. Other people, whether they know it's this principle or not, just know intuitively to take advantage of it, and they benefit from it. So there's so many things, and this isn't just about farming. You can take this principle and apply it to relationships, to business, to entrepreneurialism, uh, if that's a word, uh, to your career, to your friendships, to finances. You start somewhere, and it will get bigger, and it's consistent. And in fact, what I want to do today is just talk about the laws of planting and harvesting. There's three of them, if you want to write them down. They're real simple. They're so simple that as I start talking through them, you're probably going to go like, this is, everybody knows this. Yeah, but not everybody does it. So once you start thinking about it, noticing it, seeing it where it comes up, and start using this, you're going to see your life benefit if you'll take advantage of it. But here's the first one. You will harvest whatever it is you plant. I told you, this is not deep. <laughs> The farm down the street from our house, 
right now. There are rows and rows and rows of pumpkins. Why is that? They planted pumpkin seeds. This is not hard, right? If they planted, the guys who planted watermelon seeds or cucumber seeds, that's what they would get. This is the law of the harvest, the first one. You're going to reap whatever you sow. You're going to harvest whatever you plant. This, again, goes back to the very beginning. This is at the creation. Genesis 1.11, God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came, and that's what happened. So, whatever you plant, you're going to get that back, and this can work against you. The Bible over and over warns us this isn't just farming. Like you go back to Galatians again. I'm going to read further on. We started with verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You'll always harvest what you plant. Now, to the negative, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Holy Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So you're going to get this back. So Job, in the Old Testament, long time ago, Job 4, 8, my experience shows those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. Proverbs 22, 8, this is like every episode of Narcos. Those who plant injustice will harvest disaster, and their reign of terror will come to an end. Hosea, the prophet, Hosea 10, 13, you have cultivated wickedness and harvested a thriving crop of sins. And then Jesus, just very famous verse, Matthew 7, 2. You will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Now, this works to the positive as well. There are several scriptures that say you're going to get back what you give in the positive. Proverbs eleven eighteen: A wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Hosea, the prophet, again, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you'll harvest a crop of love. James, this is awesome. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. In Proverbs eleven twenty five, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. It just works. It seems to me this is pretty important. This is something you should pay attention to. If this is a consistent thing that you can count on, that you're going to get back what you start with, you ought to be careful about what you're planting. And consider this. If you need something, you should start planting right now. If you know you're going to need food in the fall, you should start planting in the spring. But this works in other areas, too. A friend of mine raises cattle in his spare time because he likes to eat steak. And his cows like to eat, so he plants corn, feed, feed corn for them. And my friend's a Christian. You know what he does not do every spring? He doesn't go out into the field and start praying, Lord, you see this empty field? My cows need to eat. If he did pray a prayer like that, I wouldn't be surprised if the Lord answered him, Steve. You're a smart man. You know what you need to do. Quit praying and start planting. This is in your control. You know what to do. If you need something, you plant. Let me just be real honest with you. I'm going to poke the bear a little bit with you. Some of you, you may not use these exact words, but you say, well, I'm waiting on God. I'm just waiting for God to come through. Is it possible that God's looking at you going, well, I'm waiting on you to do something because there's a lot of things that you can do. I will do what you, you plant and then I'll take over, God says, but don't just blame me for things that you have the ability to do something about. Start planting if you need something. Whatever you need more of in your life, you ought to be planting that in faith. You feel like maybe people don't appreciate you. You get taken for granted a lot. According to this, you should be planting appreciation in other people and see what comes back to you. You ever go through a season in your life where you feel lonely and you don't feel like you've got a lot of friends and you just need some more connections? You should be being a friend and you'll get that back. Maybe there's times in your life where you, um, you feel like 
you know, you're just angry all the time. You need to start planting seeds of patience. Maybe for you, it's, um, maybe it's more money. Then maybe you need to be more generous with the people around you. Uh, some people say, like, I just, I lack energy. As one mom famously told her kids all the time, they got sick of it, but they, they say, well, it's true, I just don't want to admit it. Well, if you want to have energy, you've got to burn energy to have it. So, you know, if you feel tired all the time, maybe you should get out of the house and go walking. Maybe you should just do a few things to get the blood moving. This is the, the law of planting and harvesting. Whatever you put in, you're going to get back, which leads to the second law of harvesting. You will harvest more than you plant. Not only are you going to get back what you started with, you're going to get a whole lot more of it. This can work for you, and this can work against you again. There's an old saying. It's almost like a cliche. Uh, anybody can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a seed. Have you heard that? It was a new one to me. I'm sorry if that's a cliche. I, that's a really good, because you can count all the seeds, but who knows how many apples will come from that tree from that one seed that you plant. And back in the 1800s, Americans in the South started planting something that had been brought over from Asia. You've probably heard of kudzu. So it was sold to people in the South as this wonderful plant that's ornamental. It could shade your front porch. It's high protein. You could feed it to your cattle. You can, um, like, erosion control with it. it was, so it was great. What nobody kept in mind was the climate in Asia versus the climate here in the American South, and that in Asia it gets cold enough where it was grown that it would die off every winter. It never dies in the South. They call it the vine that ate the South. It's caused billions of dollars of damage. You've seen it any time you've gone South. It's just taken over. It's done irreversible damage in some cases. People are trying to eradicate this stuff because people didn't think through what am I planting and whatever I plant, I'm going to get a whole lot more of it. I just want to give you a little bit of an encouragement here. I'm going to poke the bear again. You ought to make real sure you're not planting kudzu in your relationships because sometimes we do this though. Man, if you're just constantly angry all the time, don't be surprised if everybody around you is angry. If you uh, sow patience, that's what you're going to get back. If, if you sow irresponsibility, don't expect everything around you just to be organized, and just don't expect to live a chaos-free life. Don't, here's another thing to be really careful about, and the Scripture warns us about this a lot. Your words are like seeds. With your words, you put ideas in other people's minds, which is why the, the Bible over and over talks about the pernicious and poisonous nature of gossip. When you're talking about someone who's not there, be very careful about how you hold their reputation in your hands because you're putting an idea or a thought or a perception in someone else's mind about a person that may or may not be accurate. And because of the law of the harvest, that thing's not going to stay there. This is going to take on a life of its own. So over and over, we've just told, be very careful about whatever you invest because you're going to get a whole lot more of it back. This works to the positive. If you plant encouragement in people, if you believe the best about people, and you just are constantly that person who's promoting positivity, you're going to get that back and then more. If you invest your life in worthwhile things, in the end, you're going to look back and you're going to be so proud of what you've done and you're going to have so many fewer regrets. You know, there's a family in our church that I love. They've been here almost since the beginning, and they've invested their lives literally, blood, sweat, and tears into this church family. Tom and Ginger Bowden talked recently about their experience here at Connection and investing themselves here. I'd like you to hear them talk about their story. I came to Connection back when it was New Horizons, and it was only a couple of months old. So I've been with Connection for 20 years. I finally stayed around once 
when they were tearing down and then kind of got involved with that. And that's when I realized people were more genuine because it wasn't a different person tearing down than it was during church and greeting and what have you. Uh, I'd, or people, you know, because it was multiple, it wasn't one person. It was a very uh, trying job tearing down and setting up. <laughs> but that's where I got involved because that's, that's what I like to do. I'm behind the scenes, I'll set up, I'll tear down, do the chairs, whatever and then disappear into the back. I, I don't I don't want to be in front of the camera. I think part of what makes Connection that place for us is the leadership. Our leadership from the ministers to the elders to Kelly, they're all committed, you know, on that same goal of reaching others for Christ and serving others. Everybody's genuine. I, I certainly don't know everyone in the church. It's gotten too big for me now. I'm not a social person per se, but the folks that I know, I know pretty well. and. You know, the guys, again, you see here at church are the same guys when we go and we do the guys' nights out at uh, Larry and Sherry's place. You know, we're not perfect in church and then imperfect outside of church. We're imperfect all the time. Tom and I are a second time around marriage and other people here are, and we can talk about the struggles of um, step-parenting and, you know, there's not like a people look at us wrong, like we're because we're divorced and remarried. No one has it all together. You know, we're all in it together. In the first small group we were in, um, we were talking about something that aggravates you. And Karsten, Ryan's wife, starts talking about how mad she gets in traffic. And that's something that Tom does. And he was like so surprised that a minister's wife would like admit to having temper. And right. you know, and you know, just that I'm I'm just a person too, just like you. I'm not real good at picking up my Bible and reading it. So the messages that Brian brings, I think, really help me think, and it gives me something to think about as opposed to just reading. I think we have a cohesive focus on connecting people to God. I mean, I think you see it across the, um, the spectrum. The children's programming is focused there. Certainly, you know, having been a part for a time here of the music and the worship services, it's, you know, the focus is there to try to have a unified message you know, so that the focus just stays right there on the sermon of the day, the thought of the day, the book we're going through. It's you know, very focused and cohesive. I love the ways that we reach out to things like, especially like the children who are doing the school lunches and we take the backpacks and sometimes we get the chance to give them Christmas gifts and the food pantry. I love those opportunities we have to reach out really you know, to the underserved among us and we continue that focus. It's not just on growing so that we're a big church. I mean, it's great that we are, but it's really on serving and serving in God's name so that people know it's not us, it's not because we're so great or we're so generous, it's because we serve a God who's so generous and we want them to know too. I'm just excited to see the church growing, but making sure we can sustain it. Because I'm not an evangelist, I'm not gonna go out and I'm not gonna bring a million people in but I'm happy to do whatever I can behind the scenes to make sure we can support that, right? So if it's, um, I'm not real good at manual labor anymore, too much weight, but if it's helping to get something done around the church or if it's financial, you know, trying to help do that kind of stuff. We've been doing more talking and learning about reaching out to communities that aren't gonna come to us easily. It excites me that the church is willing to, to step up to that and not, you know, be, you, you got to look like me and you got to be like me before you can come here and be with me. It's like more than anything, more than 
changing any of their behaviors more than anything, they need to come to know God. And I'm, I'm excited that we're willing to reach out to those uncomfortable places. I really appreciate what they had to say. Ginger talking about how we're trying to think about who's not yet part of the family, that God wants to be here, and that, that would fit right in. And they're right now have no idea that maybe six months or a year from now, they're going to be in church. Wow. And I love what Tom said about how he just wants to do whatever he can to dig deep and support the mission. This is what we're talking about with planting and harvesting. We invest our lives in something that's so worthwhile, and eventually the harvest comes to us, and it's people who are blessed. Love that. So the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is really important to see, down in verse 6. Remember this, a farmer who only plants a few seeds will get a small crop. It's just logic. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, because God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. This is just really saying, you get to choose how big the harvest is in your life. You get to choose how much God is going to bless you based on what you're willing to do right now. And there's a point in your future where you're going to reap the rewards of what you're doing now. Uh, and so if, if you want God to bless your life, plant towards God. And don't blame other people if God's not blessing you the way that other people are being blessed. Maybe they're doing more to be generous towards God. Because if, if you plant sparingly, you're going to harvest sparingly. If you plant generously, you're going to reap generously. Again, this here in this verse that I just read in Corinthians was literally talking about finances. But it applies to so many other areas. Paul was raising funds from this, the group of Corinthians there, and other people all over the world to help some people who had gone through a really rough time, and they needed some support, and they needed some help. And Paul's saying, can you just go above and beyond to bless these people? And then I love what he says down in verse 10 of the same chapter. God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a harvest of generosity in you, a great harvest which then brings me to the third law of the harvest. Not only do you harvest what you plant, and not only do you harvest more than you planted, you also harvest later than you plant. And this is where the faith element comes in. There is an element of faith to putting something in the ground that you could eat right now. In the spring, I put corn in the ground, hoping I'm going to get more corn in the corn. I, I remember doing this as a kid, sometimes in my garden. I would plant something, and then I would be so tempted to dig it up after a couple of weeks just to see if it was doing anything. But you can't do that. You just got to let it alone and let it do what it's doing. You know, because then you got the, the fear, though, of, well, what if I planted it and nothing happens? Then I'm up a creek without a paddle. But that's the faith element. You just trust that you do what you can, and God will take over from there. There's this brilliant teaching that Jesus gave. It's in Mark chapter 4, and he was really only talking to his closest disciples when he gave this teaching, and he knew that they would need this and they would get it. He said in verse 26, The kingdom of God's like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, and then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. What Jesus is saying to us is, when you're sometimes doing the work of God and you're planting good news about Jesus, when you're just trying to do generous things for other people, there's not always going to be an obvious return right up front. It's not always obvious what God is doing. And that's my encouragement to you right now. 2020 has been a horrible year. You all who are watching online, you know that too. 
It's not always obvious what God is doing. But what if in 2021 and 2022, we look back on 2020 and we go, wow, did I grow? I would never have chosen that, but man, is my faith deeper. Wow, do I care about the most important things like I never did before. This is what Jesus is saying. Sometimes you just have to be patient because the harvest comes after the planting. And in the meantime, you just trust God and you let God do what he does. That's why we're engaged in this Daring Faith campaign. In the worst of times, we're still believing that God doesn't need everything to be perfect for him to work. In the worst of times, we're saying, God, we're still going to trust you. We're going to take steps of daring faith. And what we're looking at is we're seeing a whole generation of people that we need to be sharing Jesus with. At the worst of times, planting seed to reach more people. And I love this church because all through the history of this church, so many of you have been willing to say, I will sacrifice things I love for people that I love more. Some of you are here now because people in the past were willing to do that, to put in the hard work, to serve God with outsized generosity. So the goal of the Daring Faith campaign, this part of it, for those of you who are connections your home, is we want to reach the next generation for Jesus and their parents and their grandparents. When we're talking about Generation Z, there's a lot to like about this generation. I mean, really, they're like a quarter of our population. We're talking about kids from their early 20s down to about preschool. And they're such a big generation. They're tech savvy. I'm talking to some of you. You are tech savvy. You're activists. You love to get involved. You love to change the world. We think that's phenomenal. And uh, there's some things about this, though, that this generation that we look at and we go, ah. For example, number one, this generation is the least likely to go to church, least involved in church. It's the most biblically illiterate generation in American history. Be proud of that. All that means for me, though, as a pastor, just be really honest with you. I don't have to undo any bad ideas. If you don't know anything, we're just kind of starting from scratch. So I think that's fantastic. In our student ministry, just, they, oh, I've never heard this before. The Bible is not boring. It's like the most relevant book they've ever run into. So there's a lot of good things about this generation, but they're also most likely to call themselves either atheists or just nothing. I'm just not religious at all. Somebody said about Gen Z, well, they don't know what to believe or why to believe it. And that's not a put-down, that's just an assessment of where Gen Z is. Some of you, if you're in Gen Z, is that fair? Does that kind of ring true with some of your friends, your coworkers, the people you live around? Or if you've got a child or a grandchild in that generation? This is the generation that we believe that Connection Christian needs to be reaching out to. We need to do intentional things to make ourselves in a position to be able to share Jesus with them, putting ourselves in a position to be credible. So what does that look like? We've got some pretty big dreams coming out of Daring Faith, but it really depends on what we together as a group decide to do. We've already taken one huge step of faith in just already adding to our staff. We brought Ashley Davis onto our children's ministry team in the Next Gen Ministries. She's already killing it. She's phenomenal. If you are at home right now, you need to come into church, bring your kids as soon as you feel ready, because they're going to love it. And we're doing so many other things. Aaron Jackson has dreams for the, the student ministry and the college ministry. We would love to see a place where the teenagers can have a place of their own. And uh, we're ready for that. We actually, when we were building this building new, there's phase two, and we're going to need to start thinking about that. Back then, when we built this building a couple of years ago, we knew phase two, a student building or something needs to happen. It's time to start talking about that now. There's so many things that we could do. It really just comes on uh, in terms of what we're willing to do. You know, another thing that I'm really thankful for is Jeff Hosey, our worship minister. The guy 
moved us forward towards online and, uh, services before anybody really cared. I'll tell you this, back in February before COVID hit, there was a survey done nationally of pastors and church leaders. You know at the, where uh, online services were at on a list? Bottom. Of like a list of 10 things that people were thinking about. We were doing that back before we needed to. Thankfully, we were ready for it. But this is not really something that's going to go away when COVID goes away. People watching online is where things have been headed for a long time. COVID just accelerated us toward that. We need to take where we're at and grow from there. This, there's so many good things that we've just not even innovated yet that could be uh, things that we can do to reach people in ways we never have thought of before. And it's going to happen. It really is. We just need to be able to, to take those steps. Some of you need to be thinking through this daring faith time, what can I give to make this happen? Some of you need to be thinking, what can I do to make this happen? You've got talents and you've got skills that need to be used, and you need to think about bringing this to the forefront. Again, together as a church, we're planting everything we are and everything we have to see what God will do. Because I tell you, at the end, it's like when we talked about, I don't know, what was it, a month ago? The little boy who shared his lunch with Jesus and 5,000 people were fed. This is exactly what God does. He takes what we offer him, whatever little bit it is, and he does miraculous things. I am so looking forward to seeing the miracles in your lives and in this church through this. So I think I may have told you this story several years ago. It's one of my favorite stories. There's an off-duty first responder out in San Jose, California, driving down the interstate after work, and he got a call, and he heard it come over the radio that there was a baby choking, and he realized if he got off at the very next exit off the interstate, he could be there like in a minute. So he just took the exit, didn't even think about it. There was construction going on. The exit was blocked. It was closed. He hollered out to the construction crew, and they said, he told them what was going on. They said, no problem. They moved some equipment. They moved some dirt. He was able, he got to the house before anyone else. The baby had swallowed a button. So there's a little bit of air getting through, but that baby wasn't going to make it. And he was able to dislodge the button. The baby was saved. It was an amazing thing. Perfect. Little kid gets to have a great life. Next day, he's driving down the interstate. He gets close to the same exit. He sees the construction crew out there. He's like, I got to tell him what happened. Pulls over and uh, kind of takes the exit. As he's parking his truck, one of the construction crew guys starts running towards the truck. He said, that was my baby. That was my baby that you saved yesterday. Connection, this is, you know, this is our story here. Because, uh, you know, you guys raised our kids. <laughs> Our girls grew up in this church. You were the mentors to them. They were baptized here. They came to know the Lord. You guys are the reason that my family has flourished the way we have. Thank you. Thank you all. At the same time, daring faith, it's not really for me. My kids have kind of aged out of this group. I'm not doing this for us. I'm doing it for you. Curse and I are fully in on daring faith. We're going to do probably the most we've ever done. But we're doing it for your kids. We're doing it for you if you're in Gen Z. We're doing it for your grandkids. We're doing it for the people that you work with, the people you go to school with, the people that you know who are just one thing away from eternity. And they don't know Jesus, and they don't know what to believe or why to believe it. But that could change if they came into a church that's full of people who aren't perfect but who love each other, a place where we believe that teaching the Word of God is the most healthy thing that we could do for you, to not only just learn it but to obey it to know that Jesus can connect you to God and to other people around you, what a fantastic life you could have. Imagine the stories that you can have as you look back on your life if you were just willing to invest your life to plant some things that will be harvested later. God can do miraculous things. It really just comes down to your willingness and your faithfulness to plant. Let me pray for you.
Father, I just have to say as I stand before you, I'm humbled by what you do. I look back and I know that all of us can say we look back in our lives and we sometimes were suffering from the things we planted earlier on. And there's some regrets. But we know that when we come to you, we find forgiveness and we find grace. I pray that you would bring healing today, that you would bring vision and optimism and hope for the future, that while we can't change the past, we know with you, nothing's impossible for our future. So we trust you right now to make beautiful things out of our lives. I pray for you, Father, to bless this church, that it can be a light to our community and to our world, that people will have a different future because they got connected to a connection Christian. I pray that you will break down any barrier that's in our hearts to doing the next right thing, that you will just fill us with courage, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Daring faith is challenging us, challenging us to trust God more so that we can see miracles in us and through us. So the leaders of this church are praying earnestly to see what God has in store for us. And it's just awesome to see all this happening. So the priorities, which he mentioned earlier, Pastor Brian, is our reaching that next generation. So important. I have a story for you that I'll share with you in just a minute. But it's so important to reach this next generation. They need now more than ever. I say this almost every time I get up here, but we got to say it over and over and over again. Because we need now more than ever a church, a place to go that is safe. So we have that, and then we have the increased space, which was in the plan from the very beginning. So let's get those people here so that we can get that increased space. As well as technology. We have a lot of technical needs for online, for streaming, for all the above. We had a little glitch this morning, and it was like technology doesn't always work the way we want it to. I like to throw my computer in the trash sometimes. It doesn't do what I want it to. But we still have to use technology, and we use it every day. And we need to upgrade. We need to get new technology, uh, new online stuff. So it's just all these things that are happening in our church. This is what Daring Faith is going to be about. We don't have a blueprint for a building. We don't have that kind of stuff. We don't have a chart up here, like I've said in the past, for seeing where money is, because we've said it over and over again. We don't want to limit God. That is crucial. We've got 36 months to do this and beyond. So this is just the kickoff for this Daring Faith campaign, which just is so exciting. So the story I wanted to tell you about is that I've walked into all of the small groups and listen to people ask questions and have concerns and where do we want to put money and then I explain all this stuff but I hadn't gone to the youth <laughs> so you go to the youth and, and you, I ask one question I thought this was a really good question and Aaron was looking at me when I asked this question he went oh no but I asked it anyway and I thought man why didn't I ask this to all the other groups are you proud of your church yeah, really proud. And that hit me. Are you proud? Do you want to make this grow? Do you want to invite everybody? Invite people. That night, these kids committed to inviting people to church. Whether they come or not, they are inviting people to come to church. So awesome. I just thought that was really cool. We commit to a lot of things. We commit to a mortgage. We commit to a marriage. We commit to a job. We commit to a team, a dance squad, whatever. We commit to an awful lot of things. But I think the next part 
of our commitment in life needs to be to commit to the Lord, commit to God, to what he can accomplish here at this church. So today, here's the commitment card. It's going to be given to you as you walk out of the sanctuary. Do not do anything with this card yet. Okay? You need to take this card home. Do not write on it. Do not fill it out. Pray about it. Think about it. Know where you need to be to further this kingdom. So please take this. December 6th will be our Commitment Sunday. So put that on your calendar. Make sure you are here. If you can't be here, you always got, you can get a commitment card anywhere and everywhere. I'm going to put this, which I've done already, in my car because I'm in my car a lot. I have one on my desk. I have one in my car. Take a couple if you need to. But it's always reminding me about what is important and how can I expand and do the best thing for my church to get more people to know about God. Let's commit.